We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. going on pacer nation welcome back to your go-to pacers podcast i'm your host alex gold and joining me on today's show the host of nba today on sirius xm radio justin termini i thought it'd be a great time to just kind of bring somebody in here and get a national perspective on what this team is all about and what this team could become tyrese halliburton's early start to the season and how good he's been playing and what that means for the league so justin really has some great insightful thoughts on this pacers roster this pacers team so far being seven and four as we had in the game 12 against Orlando on Sunday. So thought it'd be great to have him on. But before we get to that, I was able to be at Pacers practice today. Got to talk with Rick Carlisle, Miles Turner. So I'm going to share some of those conversations on the pod before I bring Justin on. But me and Fachi will be back on Sunday night to recap the Pacers magic game. So you don't want to miss that. But thank you all so much for your continued support of setting the pace. If you like what you're listening to, please leave us a five-star rating review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So it just helps us grow this content a little bit more to other listeners. So thank you all so much. Let's go ahead and get to those interviews with Rick Carlisle and Miles Turner. How's Bruce doing? I saw they had a brace on his leg. Good, he had bruise in there. Okay. Well, he hasn't missed a good, good. Anybody else banged up this week or expected? Um, yeah, Nimhart's banged up. So he will he'll be out tomorrow. Are there any pros and cons to have an extra rest? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it happens whenever the schedule says it happens. Yeah. And if you have guys that are dinged up, it gives them a chance to heal up. I mean, help Jalen Smith, Smith a little bit. Last few days. Um, and, you know, you take it for what it is. You don't want to over-practice, but you can't under-practice either. And you got to do... The appropriate amount of hard work and the appropriate amount of of resting and clearing, clearing, clearing our heads. 
Yeah, these four days you guys have had off in between games. You know, how has that you know, been positive, negative? You like to that, or do you like having more games when you're well? Um, you know, it's, it's double edged sword because you know you you'll take the rest anytime you get it, but then you want to have it getting that uh, routine, that consistency, yeah. consistency of playing the games and whatnot. So, um, you know, we'll definitely have our you know, our um, show make up for us somewhere in the schedule. But, yeah, uh, we'll get back to it pretty soon. Thoughts on Orlando and the matchup you guys have against them? Um, they're definitely a competing team. They're another younger team in the East that you know that they want they want what uh, the same thing we want. Essentially, you know, want to be one of those top you know uh, five seeds out there. So it's going to be definitely be a dogfight. Those guys are long. We got some talented players, but uh, you know we have a we believe in our depth and believe in our style of play. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, not not to backtrack too much, but that Philly game you talked on uh, Twitter about how mental toughness and like the Philly environment. Just talk about that environment. Maybe was there anything that. People were saying to you while you were sitting on the bench waiting to come back. Oh, in. Man, I wish I, I wish I could repeat it on camera. <laughs> uh, they were they were definitely saying some things. You know, me me a few years ago probably would have flipped out the crowd, and like, I kind of just uh, allowed it to fuel me in a sense. And um, in you know, honestly, it's one of the best arenas to play in because it's just it's so loud, it's ruckus, and those guys. I mean, they care. Like, if Philly's getting blown out, they're going to boo Philly. You know, if we're, if we're up, they're going to boo us. So, you know, it's one of those environments where you kind of you know, dream about, like, being on the road and whatnot as far as, like, those uh, uh, hostile environments, you know, if you will. Um, yeah, speaking of the in-season tournament, you know, only having one nationally televised game, that gives you an opportunity to maybe get some more national recognition for this team. Does that kind of motivate you guys as well besides just winning, winning games, taking care of business? Or? I mean, for someone who's been here as long as I have, like, you know, when we start winning games, we're gonna, you know, they're gonna pick up national TV games here and there. Like once we take care of our business, everybody else will see. But it's exciting for, I think, fans to be able to see our style of basketball as opposed to hear about it. You know what I mean? So, um, giving a chance to get that exposure in a big, like, um, in a big environment like that would be nice, you know, for the city and nice for organization and whatnot. But you know, we don't really. I guess it's kind of hard for us to still, you know, hope and pray yeah. for national televised games, just knowing, you know, what situation it is. Now. Yeah, and then how has your on-court chemistry kind of developed with Obi Toppin this season so far? It's been good, man. I think Obi, um, he he presents a lot of challenges for the teams because he's so fast, you know, on the floor. When he rolls, I'm able to pop, you know, and vice versa. You know, he's able to take the ball out, post up smaller guys as well, so I can mix things up inside out. He's on the glass. I mean, he definitely uh, makes life a little bit easier. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
All right, everybody joining us now on Setting the Pace. He is host of NBA Today on SiriusXM Radio from 4 to 7. It's Justin Termini. Justin, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm not jumping on all these like team-oriented podcasts, but Indiana, I can't miss out on because they're one of the more uh, exciting teams. Like This is not a boring one, so I'm excited to talk some Pacers. Well, I, I love to hear that. I mean, obviously, this Pacers team, 7-4 and four right now, playing one of the most fun offenses in the entire NBA. They got a great point guard in Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, where do you want to start at with this Pacers team? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could start right there, right? Because he's at the center of it. I mean, that's why they're interesting is Halliburton. And uh, I was high on the guy a couple of years ago when you guys acquired him from Sacramento. Uh, uh, now, I also didn't mind the trade for Sacramento just because they needed Sabonis, and that worked out well for them and in that drought last year. Uh, but I didn't realize the kid was going to be this good. I mean, he's absolutely fantastic. He's got the opportunity to maybe be one of the, the one or two best point guards in the sport. Hey, I mean, everybody's talking about Anthony Edwards right now, who's another exciting player. Uh, he's got a chance to be maybe a top five to 10 player in the sport moving forward, regardless of position. That's great to hear because obviously the Pacers, I don't know if they really thought Tyrese could become that, especially this soon, because the growth that we've seen from Tyrese just the last year and a half has been remarkable. And I think you can't say enough great things about what he's done for this team. But when you look at this organization, this Pacers franchise, you know, they've had a lot of good playoff teams, but they've never been able to get over the hump really and get to that NBA finals, that kind of stuff. But they're trying to get back to the playoffs. Do you think Tyrese Halliburton and this Pacers squad is a playoff team this year and, and could really be a threat for a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference? Listen, I posed the question the other day, or maybe the observation more than a question, are they potentially a top three team, which Sacramento did last year, and nobody foresaw that taking place. Uh, now, are they a top three th team in the East? I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, could they get home court advantage? Could they be a fifth seed? Uh, certainly, I think that's in play, and definitely a top six seed. I mean, I think I would be disappointed right now. You tell me as a Pacer yeah. fan. Would you be disappointed if they're not top six? I think they, you know, I think you should be disappointed if they aren't. Yeah, especially with how the East kind of looks right now. It's always, I think top six is what they should be. I don't think they should be a play-in team at this point from what they've been able to prove. I think that with the additions of Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, and then, you know, just the growth of their young players, it really does feel like this team has enough depth to really kind of make a push here for a top six seed. But at the same time, you got a lot of inexperience on this roster, too, with guys that have never had playoff success and trying to go through a long haul of an 82-game season. It's just tough. But this is where I think Rick Carlisle kind of comes into play with his coaching experience. I'm kind of curious your thoughts on, on Rick Carlisle, maybe how you've seen him change a little bit over time from when he was first coming to the league with you know Detroit as their head coach to now with Indiana back with them again. What have you noticed in the change of Rick Carlisle? Well, I mean, one of the things back then was that was a hard-nosed defensive team. This is a team that's that's moving the ball and the pace is really quick. Uh, I will tell you that he's the guy that you want your young point guard to be in the hands of, though, right? I mean, I think when you think about the best coaches in regards to point guards around the league, uh, it's it's got to be Carlisle. He's at the top of the list. So I think that's a good match. Uh, you know, the only time I can recall that Carlisle maybe didn't uh, reach a point guard was Rajon Rondo for that short little stint down in, uh, in uh, Dallas. Uh, you know, and Jason Kidd, they butted heads a little bit just because kid was accomplished by the time they met up but in regards to a young point guard uh and having that sort of as your coach and your mentor i can't think of a better guy than rick carlisle I, I feel the same way i think there's a lot of fans here that are excited about rick carlisle but there's also been this weird dynamic i guess you could say between carlisle and benedict matherin you know the guy the pacers drafted yeah. last year because matherin had a really good start to the season last year coming off the bench being like potential rookie of the year candidate ended up kind of falling out towards the back half of the season but 
Matherin now as a starter has kind of had an inconsistent role with this team against Philadelphia in that really close game. He played like 16 minutes. What are your thoughts on Ben Matherin, what you've seen from him in his first year plus? And do you think that maybe Rick Carlisle needs to give him more of a, let the leash a little, be a little bit longer than maybe it has been? Yeah, I mean, again, he's never been that way with young players in the past. Uh, but this is what you've got on this team is a bunch of young players. And that's what I look at and I say, like, all right, well, there's still a, what, uh, you know, seven and four at this point, eight and four. They're right yeah. in the mix. They've played very well. And uh, Matherin really hasn't hit his stride yet, nor has Buddy healed. Uh, and if those guys really start to, to get back to where we know they're capable of, at least what we saw with Mather in the first half, uh, and then Buddy Hill, which we know from his entire career, then you're in pretty good shape. But I, I like Matherin. Uh, I, I like the idea that they are starting him and they're still winning, even though he's struggling here a little bit. But, you know, listen, it takes time with these young players. I mean, you look at an, another guy that was drafted first overall last year in Paolo Bancaro. His offensive game has struggled. Uh, that's a really good defensive team, the opposite of Indiana. Uh, but he hasn't been able to find his shots. So, I mean, these young players, you give them a couple of years. Uh, the same thing with, like, Hattleburn. I mean, he's he's better player than Matherin, but it's taken him some time to uh, to get to the point where he's really taken that leap. So sophomore slump, second half of the year slump, little concerned, maybe. But, uh, you know, again, a 21-year-old kid, you, you got time. What goes into a sophomore slump? We always hear about that, but what do you think causes that? Uh, I think it's pretty simple. I mean, even last year, you could talk about maybe the second half of the year struggles for Matherin. One was probably uh, the fact that maybe he hit that wall, right, and he tired out, which I don't think should be the excuse to start this year off. But now they actually have a, a, a game plan for him, right? And they're like, all right, this kid was pretty good last year. Now we we know his uh, the intricacies to his game. Maybe we have to focus on him a little bit more. Uh, you see that with Austin Reeves, I think, in L.A., right? Last year, uh, he jumps on the scene, and it wasn't his sophomore year. Uh, this year's not a sophomore year, but the point is last year was really his freshman year and as far as breaking out, right? Okay, now this guy is a threat. So now defenses are focused on him a little bit more when they go in in the back and they're previewing these games. The scouts and the game plan is more centered around him. So I think that's basically what typically is, uh, you know, a sophomore slump is, is from. Mm -hmm. and, and that makes sense. But there's so many interesting players on this Pacers roster that I want to talk about. One, Obi Toppin, because Obi Toppin was with the Knicks, Really couldn't get playing time behind Julius Randle, who was an All-NBA kind of power forward. And then Tom Thibodeau really just didn't trust, I don't think, Obi Toppin fully. And then Obi Toppin had some comments that leaked in the locker room last year about his frustrations with playing time. So he gets moved to Indiana. What have you thought so far of Obi Toppin's time with the Pacers? Well, I mean, you're asking me fresh off that game against Indiana, right, where he dropped 27 points. But I always liked him in Indiana. I mean, I always liked him in New York, uh, Alex, because uh, – uh, you know, I just didn't think he got the right offense, number one, because he's a guy that likes to run, right? And Tom Thibodeau's a little bit more of a slow it down type of coach. So I think that was one thing that was working against him. And then the other thing working against him was he just wanted, you know, Thibodeau likes to play his guys and he was playing behind Julius Randle. If you go back and you look at, at some of the games that he played where Randle was out, uh, yeah, I, I was really impressed with what he did. So now he gets the opportunity. Now it's much more of a, a up and down pace that he gets to play in. Uh, when he first got signed there, I said, all right, maybe a little bit of Lob City, uh, poor man's Lob City in regards to, uh, you know, maybe not Toppins, not Blake Griffin. Certainly, Halliburton's good enough to play the role of Chris Paul. Uh, but, you know, a connection like that, I think, uh, would work out well with them. And again, we're 10, 11 games in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I like him especially tailored for this type of offense. So I think it was worth the shot yeah i mean they only gave up two second round picks for him too so really essentially got him for very minimum cost so that is what you want to see the pacers kind of take advantage of that and then 
their big splash this offseason was paying Bruce Brown a lot of money. And I think there was a lot of question marks. Did they overpay him? Did they pay him too much? What is his fit going to be here like? And, and why would he want to leave for a team that doesn't really maybe seem destined for the playoffs at that point when he signed? So what are your early thoughts on Bruce Brown? Maybe your thoughts in the summer that happened when he left and then your thoughts on how he's played so far this year. Well, I mean, there was no way that he was going to stay when Indiana threw that money at him, right? Even if right. he did want to stay, I'm assuming he, if you know, the money was similar, would have stayed in Denver, and you can't blame him. Got an opportunity to win. Uh, so, two things: one is, you know, in Indiana, it's not Miami, it's not LA. Unfortunately, you have to overpay to get guys to go there. So they were going to have to overpay him. Uh, I love the addition though, because uh, even if it is a slight overpay, it's not a long-term deal. One, I, uh, and then you also get a guy that's got championship experience, so he brings it into a young team right the guy's fresh off winning so he knows what it takes and then you also like look around the league I didn't like the way that Philadelphia when they were young was building and they didn't have veterans in there to show Ben Simmons how to behave as a professional to show Joel Embiid how to behave as a professional uh yeah you know so they're doing that here in Indiana where yeah they're building around maybe Matherin and Halliburton and Obi Toppin and a bunch of younger players but they've got some veterans. I mean, Miles Turner's a veteran. Bruce Brown's a veteran. So I like the idea of having some veterans around and uh, and a guy that can hit big shots and is used to big moments. And Bruce Brown certainly is that. He's been great here so far. And I think that the box score has been a little bit up and down for him when you look at it. But if you look at the way he's played and just brought a defensive impact to this team, uh, the defense hasn't been good, but he's been their best defender because he's drawn the best matchup every night. It's just tough. But Miles Turner, you bring him up in year nine with the Pacers. He's had an up-and-down career. There's been a lot of question marks. Would he be traded? Would he not be traded? Now he seems to have found a home here in Indiana. From a national perspective, what are your thoughts on Miles Turner, and where do you kind of see him as a player? Well, from my thoughts on Miles Turner has always been, like, the only time we've ever talked about Miles Turner, unfortunately, for the most part, is, uh, is he going to be dealt? Is he not going to be dealt? Why is he always in rumors? I mean, he's one of those guys that just pops up in rumors consistently throughout the course of his entire career. So, unfortunately, like, that's the prism that you talk about him in. And I remember a couple of years ago where there was, like, rumors that Indiana wanted Gordon Hayward, uh, and uh, and he was going to be a part of that deal going back to Boston. And I liked Miles Turner. So, I was shocked when Boston just allowed Gordon Gordon Hayward to walk for free, if that was even on the table. You didn't know. But if Boston turned that down, I thought that was a bad move at the time because, I mean, he's a guy that he's the perfect, uh, you know, type of center in today's game where he's not at the level of maybe, you know, certainly not a Jokic or Embiid or even like a, a Demonis Sabonis or a Bam Adebayo, but he's a great defender, right? Uh, and he's somebody that can pull the big out away from the basket. So you do get a matchup, I think, with Jokic, for example, not that Indiana's going to get that far in the postseason, but he's the perfect guy to kind of pull him out away from the basket, make him work in that sense. I think that's the best type of, uh, you know, center to have to go up to, against a Jokic or say a Demonis Sabonis in a big playoff series. Uh, I think Boston's got another perfect guy in Kristaps Porzingis that's very similar in that regard. Uh, although I do think defensively that Miles Turner is the better player. I think offensively Porzingis is the better of the two. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that with Miles, it just kind of came down to confidence. Playing him and Sabonis together was not a great pairing. I think they they worked okay together. Yeah, you know, both really high IQ basketball players, so they were able to figure it out. But it was never going to like allow either of them to reach their ceiling. I guess you could say where they could be better off as the solo big. But we're glad the Pacers don't have to talk about that anymore because that was uh, over talked about here. It was just a killing the same point yeah, over oh, and over. I agree. Yeah, so we're just like, are they going to break this duo up? And it was like a four year thing, and finally. It took Rick Carlisle coming in there and being like, okay, we got to change things up here a little bit. But, you know, someone that they did acquire when they traded Malcolm Brogdon 
was Aaron Neesmith. And Aaron Neesmith, to me, has quietly been the X factor for this Pacers team and their success. He's the only guy that I really think can play multiple positions, one through one through four. I mean, even against the 76ers in the last game, he was guarding and beat at times yeah. because they went a little bit smaller. And he's just a guy that I feel like is kind of under the radar a little bit, but he's the Pacers X factor for when I think they can take that jump. What have your thoughts been on Aaron Neesmith? and how he's really just come to life after being buried on Boston's bench. Yeah, he wasn't playing much for Boston as well, and that's part of the issue where guys don't necessarily want to get drafted to teams where there's a bunch of guys behind you, and that's why it's always kind of willing to – you know, it's worth taking a shot on guys like that. I think it might end up working here with Neesmith. For example, it's not necessarily working out for James Wiseman, who's in a similar spot and is now in Detroit. Uh, Neesmith's a guy that can score, uh, and you know he's 24, 25 years of age, and you weren't getting anything I, – I believe they got him in that Brogdon trade. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So they got a first round pick in that uh, deal, I believe. And then they got Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, so again, worth the flyer. And uh, he's had a couple of big games for you. Uh, and he's pretty confident as well, because I saw him have a post right on, on social media afterwards that <laughs> Celtics got ripped off in that deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he ended up having a big game uh, against the Cavaliers right at, uh, right before the Celtics. They played the Celtics and he had like, I think it was like 24 points off the bench. I mean, he just had some big moments and really showcase that he can be kind of an X-factor kind of player. And what you like about that is he talked about his ability to to play whatever role they ask of him. He was a starter for the majority of the season last year, but he said, I'll come off the bench. And this is what's been kind of interesting with this Pacers team. They've kind of targeted a lot of players from that 2020 draft. They got Halliburton, Jalen Smith, Obi Toppin, Aaron Neesmith, and they also got Jordan Mora, who's buried on their bench because they just can't find enough playing time for no. him. So a lot of lot of good young talent here. And you talk about guys not getting an opportunity. Right now, we have yet to see their first-round pick, Jairus Walker, really get a chance to get into the rotation. With this Pacers team kind of taking that jump to trying to be a playoff team while they're still developing, how do you find that right balance of developing while also trying to compete for a playoff spot? And where does a guy like Jairus Walker kind of get mixed into the shuffle with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I mean, I think when, and this is what I didn't like about the way that, I, I love the way that Kevin Pritchard has built the team, and it's difficult. Uh, Sam Presti right now, the way that he's built it, I think, you know, clearly that's going to work out. That team looks like it's going to be amazing, right, down in Oklahoma City. But I also think that, you know, there are guys that you owe the opportunity to win, like, you don't get the opportunity to see Shea Gildas Alexander, even though he was awesome the last couple of years, because they were retooling around him. And yes, they were developing guys, and I think that's beneficial for the long term. But you also owe it to the guys out there on the court right now to try and win now. Tyrese Halliburton's complained about, hey, we only have one nationally televised game, right? I think that's actually going to be a Celtics game later on this year in either January or February. And that guy wants to win, right? Uh Bruce Brown's a veteran. He's used to winning. He wants to win. Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, those guys want to win. So I think, uh, yeah, you do owe it to to those guys to try and go out there and win. And if Jarris Walker can't hang, then, you know, he's not going to get big-time minutes uh, is the way I guess I would view it. Yeah, and I think it's it's okay for a rookie not to play a ton, I think, especially when you're trying to develop so many young players already ahead of him. But at the same time, I think you still want to just see him get some of that experience because you talk about it with Topping, you talk about it with Neesmith getting a bigger opportunity allowed them to kind of flourish. But at the same time, there's the grass isn't always greener, like you mentioned with James Wiseman. I think it really depends upon the individual and how they approach the game and the professionalism of it and how they put the work into it. Because to me, you could you could be traded no matter, you know, to different opportunity. But if you're not willing to put in the work like an Smith did or like a Jalen Smith did, a guy that got benched last year after being named the team starter and then coming back and being a really good backup center, like 
if you don't have that right work ethic in in you, then I don't think you're ever going to flourish no matter what situation you're in. Yeah, and this is something where like the coaches know what's going on behind the scenes. Like clearly they would play the guy if the guy was was ready to play, right? And yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you're seeing that uh, in a couple of different spots. Who is it? Uh, Toronto, I, I believe, has played a couple of their young players, and some of them they have. No, Utah, Keontae George is getting the playing time, right, ahead right. of their uh, their pick at the eighth overall uh, selection, uh, and he's not really playing a lot. Uh, so. You know, if if you're earning the time, Rick Carlisle will find a spot for you to play. I mean, you look down at uh, Miami. Miami's trying to win. They're playing Jaime Hawkins. I think he's played every fourth quarter uh, during these close games, during the seven-game win streak. So guys will get their time. Taylor Hendricks is the kid I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, that really hasn't gotten the opportunity to play for him yet. But Keontae George, who was drafted after him, is playing. So the, the point is, is that you're not going to be played just based off where you're drafted. If you earn it, you earn it. And that's and that's smart. I think the player should have to earn it, and it shouldn't just be given to him. So that's that's a great thing. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the end season tournament. It feels like it's brought a level of excitement to the early season basketball here in November. I don't know if that's just me because I've seen the Pacers win some competitive games there. But what have your thoughts been uh, early on with the end season tournament? Well, I'm a big like I'm a traditionalist, so I hate like everything new that's brought into sports and just okay. and just <laughs> like just in you know life in general. If something like you know like I didn't have a uh, uh, a DVR for the longest time because I got like a VCR, so I'm like, what the hell do I need a DVR for? <laughs> uh, but uh, or a DVD player, whatever. I've lost track of what the hell they call these things now. And you know, if we were in 1979, I would have erupted, uh, Alex, at a three point line. I would have said, what is this? This is dumb for the sport. Uh, so I'm slow with the change. I actually didn't mind this one uh, just to add a little juice to these regular season games uh, because I do feel over the last three or four years. Now, I'm still into the I'm assuming since you're doing the podcast, you're big into it. Right. So you get into a November game. I do as well. Uh, November, December, January, Wednesday night. It's Indiana against Charlotte. Like I'm in front of my television. I'm watching uh, with passion. But. I think that we did need to, you know, to stick a little life into some of these games. So if it does that, I'm into it. If the players are going to try a little bit harder, if the fans are going to call up our show and be a little bit more passionate and it helps sell the sport, I'm all for it. Plus, I'm going to end up going to Vegas here in a couple of weeks. So it's a nice trip to Vegas for me as well. So maybe I like it a little bit for that as well. I mean, don't you think besides money purposes, like that's also good enough incentive for some of these players to be like, oh, we get a week during the regular season in November, December to go to Vegas versus doing the normal schedule of like traveling to Boston and then going to New York. Oh, most, most certainly. And you know, the other thing is I just think they need maybe the one thing I would add is maybe a caveat for the fans. Uh, I don't know what that is. I haven't discussed it in depth. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe a draft pick right outside of the lottery or something, not that the players care about that. They're not trying harder for a, a lottery pick or a draft pick because uh, they also don't want to be replaced. Right. So if they get like the number one overall pick, they don't want somebody taking their job. Uh, but that does give like, I think the fan base maybe more reason to, uh, to root for the team to win uh, other than, hey, let's just be crowned the midseason champ, which at this point doesn't really mean too much. Yeah, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton brought like he brought up the idea that he thought maybe a playoff bid would be something really cool for this opportunity. Do you think a playoff bid is too much, though? Yeah, I don't like that because then, you know, you get maybe some of these teams that will just stop trying after they clinch it. Uh, so I, I don't think it needs to be anything else for the players. The players have the, you know, the $500,000. So they can say like, oh, that's not a lot of money. You're making $38 million, whatever. That's still a lot of money, even if you're making $38 million bucks uh, a year, which not like maybe Halliburton will at some point, but most of these guys aren't making $38 million 
Uh, so $500,000 is enough, I think, to incentivize the players. Uh, maybe just something to incentivize the fans. But again, we don't want like the Clippers winning the in-season tournament and then saying, all right, we got a guaranteed playoff spot. Let's go to, you know, let's go to Cancun here for the next three months and not try and sit out all these games. So I don't necessarily like Tyrese's idea. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's a little too much. The only thing I kind of threw back is maybe it guarantees you a play-in spot where you don't fall like past like you can be at least seven through ten potentially. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with maybe a draft pick for the fans. I'm fine with maybe for the front office. It's like, uh, hey, you get uh, 10 extra million dollars over the cap uh, without a penalty, like something like that. That's uh, an interesting one. Yeah, just something to get the fans a little bit more involved. But I mean, the players should be going out. Like, I don't like this idea that you need to incentivize players more. Like we're paying them millions of dollars and you should, like every time you jump on your podcast, I'm sure you're like going out there and doing the best job you can, regardless mm-hmm. if you're making you know any money or more money than a different podcast. Like I, I host my show. They send me to the NBA Finals. I host that show just as hard as I do you know a show in August. So I don't like the idea that we feel like we need to incentivize players to try hard in games. Yeah, it does get a little bit tiring, and I think that you know there, there's been talks about oh, do we incentivize the players more for the All Star game because the All Star game. Has been kind of tough to watch the last, I don't know how many years, but it's just been like, okay, like Elam ending kind of added a little bit of a wrinkle to it. And you thought maybe this would help. And it did help for like the final, like, you know, five minutes of the of the All-Star game. But it just feels like, you know, Adam Silver said we're getting back to basketball. It's kind of his new slogan this year, going back to East versus West. What are your thoughts on maybe how they can improve All-Star weekend, the All-Star game, anything? Well, I go to the, I've been going to the All Star Game for ten plus years. I never stay for the game, so I stay for a weekend. The weekend, it's one of my favorite events. I leave before the game because the game's so bad. Why would I stay and watch it? So I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to get home uh, and use that little like respite after the All Star Game as a break. Uh, and I saw Adam Silver came out and t- took the blame for it. I'm sorry, it's not Adam Silver's fault. You know whose fault it is? It's the best player's fault. So, uh, like. If LeBron James set a precedent when he got into the league of I'm going to take this game seriously, everybody else would have followed. Much like him going to Miami, right? That opened up the door for Kevin Durant to feel comfortable going to Golden State because typically people will follow the best player in the sport. It's been happening ever since Russell and Wilt came into the league. How those guys behave or how those guys approach things is how everybody else is going to approach things. So if you get LeBron saying, hey, this is important to me. If you get Kevin Durant saying, this is important to me, Steph Curry saying, this is important to me, then I think other players will find it important as well. That's the way to fix this thing. Yeah, and All-Star Weekend, like the slam dunk contest, three-point contest, do you still think that has as much uh, pizzazz as it used to have? I mean, on and off. It's dependent on the year. A couple of years ago, I was there with, because uh, I will go to that event, okay? Mm-hmm. So I don't go to the All-Star game. I will go to that event. Uh, Aaron Gordon versus Zach Levine, that was absolutely awesome. Last year, Mac McClung, that was absolutely awesome. Like, the place was buzzing for that, and you're into it. Uh, but uh, I, it's really dependent on the on the slam dunk contest. Really, the slam dunk contest has, has been at the center of it the last couple of years. Sometimes it's an absolute dud, uh, and then sometimes it's, it's great. I love the weekend just because we do this thing called the legends brunch where you catch up with like uh george gervin and you catch up with uh you know reggie miller if you want to do the indiana angle on it you you catch you know larry bird you'll catch up with all the old players uh that gather and that's the fun part for me but the game yeah that's been an abomination the last couple of years i'm hoping it changes obviously with it being in indianapolis this year you know you want to see it kind of restored a little bit we'll we'll see what happens there but i want to close things out just going back to tyrese halliburton we started with him i want to finish with him there's been some conversation this guy could be, you know, the starter for the All-Star team, potentially 
could get his name in the mix for MVP based on how he's played so far this year. Obviously, it's way too early to say he's an MVP yeah. candidate, but just the level he has taken has been impressive to watch. Um, what just what do you think Tyrese Halliburton's ultimate ceiling is? Well, I mean, I tweeted this out, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and you you probably know Indiana uh, history better than I do in regards to the Pacers. And, yeah, you got guys like Mel Daniels that played in the ABA. Uh, so then it becomes a little bit more of a different conversation because he's got multiple employees. He's got a championship uh, with, uh, you know, Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller's an all-time great Pacer, but it's not insurmountable that he can reach that peak, right? Because it's not like Tyrese Halliburton going to the Lakers or the Celtics where, you know, there's just Hall of Famers all over the place place. Reggie Miller's a very good player, but he's not uh, inapproachable, uh, I think, for Tyrese Halliburton. So I think that's like the long-term type of ceiling. And, you know, the MVP stuff, yeah, it's way too early to get, uh, you know, into a conversation like that. Uh, but, I mean, if you were doing something through three or four weeks into the season, uh, you know, you would say Jokic, you would say, you know, Embiid, maybe Luka, uh, you know, Steph prior to the injury. And then why not Halliburton right there within like the top five? I mean, I think that'd be fair. I think, on you know, I checked that uh, uh, MVP tracker on basketball reference. I don't know if you use that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, every now and again. I think he's third right now behind just Jokic and Embiid. Uh, so, yeah, I mean. Shea Gildas-Alexander was top five MVP last year. I don't see why uh, Tyrese Halliburton can't be the same exact type of player as Shea Gildas-Alexander, which is, uh, you know, in the MVP conversation at the very least. Yeah, for sure. And, that, and that's all I wanted to say, because I know it's way too early, but it's just kind of cool to see a pacer in there at this moment, especially since they really haven't had one probably in that conversation since maybe Paul George, maybe Paul George was in there for a little bit at one point when he was in his prime, but even at this point, it just feels like Tyrese Halliburton has elevated this Pacers roster to a totally another level than they had yeah. been previously. And I think over the first uh, 10 games that he's played this year, they're 7-3 and three when he's played, 125 assists, leading the league in assists. Those 125 assists have generated 301 points already this year. So he's just a machine at finding people and then learning how to find that balance of passing and scoring as well. And really elevated his game. I think he's around like uh, the last like four or five games, like twenty five points a game. So he's really elevated his game. Yeah, and that's so. I at the beginning, I I don't like bet much, and it's very small amounts of money. But I put the over on Indiana, and one of the reasons, and like this is you know getting into an MVP conversation. Like last year, and you might know this number. This is off the top of my head. I think there was something like four and twenty one when he sat out games last year when he was out because of injury. So then you're looking at it and you're going like, all right, well if this guy plays, uh, then you know, this is an easy playoff team. And I think the over-under number was like 38 and a half. So I'm like, that's that's easy money. Now, I only put $20 on it because I'm cheap. But, uh, but that shows you like his importance to the team is that they were so bad without him last year, yet they were in the mix for most of the season, right up until I, I guess I want to say like all-star break uh, when he was healthy. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, that's the type of impact he's having on the team. And one other thing here uh, is like, I'm, you said it's, it's exciting to have a guy from Indiana, like uh, as a player like that, that's getting talked about. I agree with you. I think this is so good for the sport to have Anthony Edwards in Minnesota, a place where we don't spend, you know, too much time talking about over the last 20 years. Same thing with Tyree Salibert in Indiana. Uh, like we've talked in, Indiana basketball a ton so far in the show this year, which is not that something that's happened in the past. And I'm I'm Mr. Small Market. I it drives me crazy when I hear, oh, Damian Lillard wants to go to Miami. This guy wants to go to LA. This guy wants to go to New York. I think it's awesome that we have, you know, maybe one of the five most exciting players in the sport right now in Indiana. And in my estimation, uh, probably the most exciting team in the uh, NBA playing in Indiana right now.
That's great to hear. What, what kind of dynamic do you think it does for the league, though, to have smaller market teams be really successful and have really good players like this they can market where it's not just the big news? Because you turn on ESPN, I mean, it's, it's always going to be like, oh, what the LeBron James do, what the Heat do, what the yeah. Celtics do. But it's never like, oh, what's Halliburton doing in Indiana? What's Anthony Edwards doing in Minnesota? So w- what does it mean for a small market team or these different, different small market teams? What does it mean for them to have these kind of players for the league, though? What does it do for the league? Well, I mean, I think it breeds fans in those markets that are maybe young. Like if you grow up and you get an opportunity to watch Tyrese Halliburton for 10, 12 years, right? Uh, And he doesn't leave or you get the opportunity to grow up and watch Jokic or you get the opportunity to grow up and watch Giannis or or Anthony Edwards. It makes you a a fan for life, right? I mean, uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm sure you grew up maybe a little bit with Reggie Miller, right? Yeah. It made you a fan for life. I grew up here in the Boston area. Uh, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. Uh, that's the reason I'm doing this job. I, I got passionate about it. So I think it helps like breed fan bases in some of these small markets where otherwise uh, people wouldn't necessarily be interested. And I'm lucky at Sirius XM. They don't tell me what to talk about. So like if I like the other day, I did an hour to lead off the show. I think after the uh, uh Maybe it was after the Philadelphia game. Uh, Maybe it was a different game. I don't want to get it incorrect. But the point is, I did the full first hour on the Pacers. Full first hour national radio on the Pacers. Uh, A couple of days later, full first hour of the show on the Houston Rockets. Uh, You know, over bigger markets like Boston, Philadelphia, L.A., Miami, et cetera, New York. Uh, So, uh, you know, I like the fact that we can branch out and get other people involved. It's probably more fun to talk about too, just having these different options to to be able to highlight because it's it's just it's unfortunate that it's not as big of a draw as the NFL because it doesn't matter in the NFL what market you're in. It feels like that everyone's invested in the NFL. It feels like there's always like, oh, anybody could win any given night, but it, it feels like in the NBA it's almost like predetermined who's gonna win by a lot of people, and that's why they get turned off a little bit. And maybe the eighty two game schedule does play a factor into that uh, makes- being so long, but I'm I'm just not sure how you get more of the outside small markets to to focus on some of these really talented players like an Anthony Edwards, like a Gilgis Alexander, like a Halliburton. Well, I mean, listen, people will focus on Giannis because he stays there. Now we just need Halliburton to stay in Indiana. We need Anthony Edwards to stay in Minnesota. Uh, the problem is, is you turn on crap over the summer where Anthony Edwards is playing so well, and then you hear national voices going, well, he needs to get out of there. Even players that are currently in the league, like Patrick Reverly, going, oh, he needs to he needs to get out of there. He needs to go to a bigger market. No, no, we should be promoting guys staying there. Uh, but again, a lot of the content that you get isn't actually breaking down the games. It's more of like, where does somebody need to go? And that's the aspect of the job I hate. I like talking about the games from the night before. I do not like talking about like, hey, Zach Levine wants a trade. Where's where's the best fit? Is it Miami or is it LA? Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think it's just overkill at this point too. Like, I mean, we do it every once in a while when it's like around trade deadline season. Or if there's a guy mentioning trade rumors, we'll do a trade podcast about it. But you you pay to watch the games. I mean, that's what you're that's what this ultimately but, comes down to. Yeah. Now I could see it being fun for you guys if you were located in LA or Miami, but yeah. how's that fun for a Pacer fan? Like Pacer fans don't I would my assumption is that you don't look forward to uh July first because yeah, there's player movement, but when are the play the like the big name players aren't picking Indiana, unfortunately. Now yeah. hopefully Halliburton can get some like uh guys to to go there. The offense is fun. And I heard him say that I think after the the game against Philadelphia is like guys want to play that style. So yes, but do guys want to live there? Guys wouldn't go to Cleveland to play with LeBron during his first run. So uh, you know, that's that's the one angle that uh, you know, is a little bit depressing about all this. 
Yeah, and I, and I did hear Halliburton say, like, you know, with Giannis staying in Milwaukee, like, people want to come play with him as long as they kind of get that that winning culture I did, like solidified there. So I think that if Indiana can get a winning culture solidified and people realize how talented he is and how fun he's going to make it for them to play there, that they'd be willing to come to Indiana to, to play. He said he's never been been afraid of a small market uh, narrative in terms of trying to lure players there. So, you know, we've seen him attract a few different players, quality players. I wouldn't say they're stars by any means. Bruce Brown will be topping. But at the same time, you're, you're getting good quality players to Indiana, and hopefully with more playoff success, they can eventually lure some more free agents that way, where July 1st might become a little bit more exciting for Indiana fans than it has been when you're seeing, oh, Doug McDermott, midnight signing. Like That's the, that's the yeah. big signing. Yeah, no, I mean, if I'm looking around the league and this is off the top of my head, but I mean, Jokic is clearly the guy that you want to play with the most because he's one of the all-time great passers of all time and just gets everybody involved. Halliburton's got to be on that list. I mean, there's maybe some better players than Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, you know, Jason Tatum might be a better player. Uh, Anthony Edwards might be a better player. Devin Booker might be a better player. But in regards to like getting you involved in, in the game and making it easier for you, Halliburton probably ahead of those guys, so. Yeah, and, and the Pacers have cap space a little bit more than these other teams do that are kind of locked up with their rosters too, like a Boston who's got so much money going out to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Porzingis. They've kind of got their team solidified there with what they can spend. So it's it's fun to see, but I'm excited for what this Pacers team can do and for what the rest of the league can do. I think there's been a lot of good changes with the in-season tournament, and hopefully it'll allow guys, like you said, the, the younger players that are in smaller markets, to get a little bit more of a national spotlight. Uh, with these games being more uh, televised, more focused on, and then being on national TV too. So, uh, Justin, anything else you want to throw out before we let uh, we wrap this one up? No, I'm just happy for Pacer fans that uh, they're pumped up here this year and they get to watch some exciting basketball. And I love the way that Kevin Pritchard has built this team uh, without going the tanking route. And uh, you got to make uh, really intelligent and smart decisions in order to do that without tanking in a market like Indiana. So, uh, a really fun team, and uh, I look forward to watching them. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, I'll give you this opportunity now to go ahead and plug anything you'd like to plug. No, you can listen to me on Sirius XM NBA Radio. That's uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio, 4 to 7 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, with uh, a guy that used to play for the Pacers there in, uh, in Eddie Johnson. So uh, 4 to 7 Eastern Time, Eddie Johnson and myself uh, on NBA Radio. Awesome stuff, man. Well, thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on back uh, around the All-Star break, see where the paces are at, and just kind of get your thoughts on how the team's looking. And I'll, I'll be out there. I'll be out there in Indiana, so I need some food recommendations as well, Alex. All right. I'll, I'll text you. I got your number, so I'll Thanks, give you buddy. some good ones. So, All right, Justin. Well, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Alex. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We're going to need a mop. Smooth. We're going to need a mop.